So God, we ask that you hear these words and indeed uh, speak your truth again in our presence. Take us out of our day-to-day reality and lift our awareness um, up into your presence. For Jesus' sake, amen. A church, uh, this morning we are going to hear three short and relatively simple verses of Scripture, but these short verses um, give a beautiful picture of what is in the heart of God, and Lord willing, they give a beautiful picture of what is really in the core and the center of the life of Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. Here's what the Word of the Lord has to say from the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when Jesus' disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, you maybe have heard this scene or heard this story before. I I went to church as a kid. I've heard this since I was tiny. There's one word here, and it is underlined, that I don't think caught my attention as a young person. You see this word? What kind of children were being brought to Jesus? Babies. I think in my head I always thought, you know, elementary school kids, you know, maybe high school kids. No, not high school kids. Elementary school kids, maybe toddlers. The Bible doesn't say that. It literally says babies. And the disciples catch wind of this, and the grown-ups, you know, disciples are grown-up guys like me, and they, these heartless disciples... They rebuke the parents and the children and tell them to exit stage right. Now, here's what you need to know about the world 2,000 years ago. The world doesn't necessarily put kids at the top of the heap in modern times. Really not the case 2,000 years ago, okay? This is in the Roman Empire, and there was a ladder of dignity, if I can call it that. And on the top of the ladder was the Roman emperor himself, who was declared to be a god, Can't get much dignified than that. Below the emperor were those who were senators, who had political power, who were military leaders and governors. Just a rung below them were the wealthy, the landowners. Just below them were the average Roman citizens. Just below them were the adults who were non-citizens, and on and on and on until slaves, and even lower and even lower. And finally, you have small children, and at the bottom, babies. Babies are literally the least valuable human beings in the Roman Empire. And people are bringing these babies to have Jesus touch them, bless them, who knows what. And the disciples, sharing the worldview of everybody else, say, we're too busy. We're adults. Jesus, he's a successful rabbi. There's huge crowds. We don't have time for these small kids. It was so bad in the Roman Empire for babies that if a child was born who was deformed or disabled or had some kind of significant health concern, the general policy was to expose that child, which meant bring them to the side of the road and let nature take its course. Now, I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped three times around my neck, purple and not breathing. I would have been the first kid on the side of the road. Okay? I'm glad that 2,000 years have passed right? And that we live in the United States of America. But this was not the world of the disciples. So we can hardly blame them for saying, you know, we're grown-ups. Jesus doesn't have time. Take the little ones away. But Jesus takes this ladder of dignity 
and flips it over. Here's what he says. Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you hear the total reversal of the tables? Jesus flips totally upside down. Kids are first in line. Now, sometimes we talk about people being saved or people being born again. Another way to describe that experience of coming into a relationship with God is to become part of the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is the place where Jesus is in charge, where God rules and reigns, and Jesus says, if you want to be part of my kingdom where God is in charge, actually don't send the, king, the kids away. You need to, grown-ups, become like a baby if you're even going to be saved or born again or enter the kingdom of God. This total crazy talk. Can you appreciate this? Total crazy talk. Not kids on the bottom. Kids, you grown-ups, you busy grown-ups, you important grown-ups, you need to become like a baby if you're even going to be part of God's deal. So how are we supposed to be like babies? Should we cry all the time? Wouldn't that be awesome? We could just complain and cry all the time, and then the kingdom of God would be ours. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Should we sleep half the day at least? If you're sick or unwell, absolutely, you should sleep half the day. But for most of us, that's maybe a little more than what we need. What is Jesus talking about that we need to become like babies in order to enter the kingdom of God? Happily, there's one more verse in this story. And Jesus himself explains it. Our Lord says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive, there's the verb, the kingdom of God like a little child, like a baby, will never enter it. What's the underlined word? Receive. How are you going to get into the kingdom of God? Receive. Okay, babies are professional receivers. Not like NFL pro receivers. They are pro receivers in another way. Okay? If you take a small child, we had a baby, uh, baby Molly Iwima baptized at the first service. I did this. If you take Molly's little hand and put your finger in it, her little infant hand will instinctively do this. Right? You've done this? You get, if a baby is hungry, you get anything resembling a food source or a bottle near that baby's face, and what do they start doing? they start sucking and gurgling, right? Because they are pro-receivers when it comes to eating. If a baby is tired and you swaddle that baby in a blanket or give it a hug on your shoulder, what does that baby do? Well, it, it curls up and, and snuggles in because that baby is a pro at receiving the gift of sleep. Wouldn't that be great, adults? Babies know how to receive food, attention, affection, I mean, we're even genetically programmed to this by God. If you look a baby in the eyes and go, oh, God, you're the cutest baby ever. Oh, my goodness. Why do we do this? And the babies just look at us with rapt attention because as we're speaking, their tiny little infant brains are being wired for language and vocabulary and facial expression and communication by our seeming idiocy. But that's how it works. Babies are awesome receivers. 
We grown-ups sometimes forget how to do this. We become so busy, so compulsive about the goals that we are pursuing that we forget how to open up and simply receive. Jesus, in the story, clearly values children. Amen? Nobody else values children. Jesus values the babies. Jesus, who came from the height of heaven to the low-down muck of a manger to become a what? A baby. A what? Baby. God became what? A baby. Jesus values children. You got it yet? All right. At Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, God, I think, in a really kind way, has shared this part of his heart and his value system with this congregation and community, and it's been going on for 90 years at this point. Um, I interviewed a number of folks, some of our staff people, some seasoned saints and old-timers around our church the last couple weeks, and uh, Kara Hackert, our children's ministry director, you know, at the center of this page describing her philosophy of children's ministry, simply says, Jesus values the children, so do we. Right? It's, it's really that simple. So last week, Rev began describing how we as a church have four core values, four things that really define and describe who we are and what we do. And the first part of that last week was about attracting folks, inviting folks, being hospitable folks to come in and join us. And the second part is that kids matter. It's that children and serving kids are at the heart of this congregation. It's in our very DNA as a church, and it's in our history. Now, if you were here last week, you were introduced to Mrs. Catherine Tessman, uh, the woman God chose to start this church. We're going to hear a little more of her story this morning, so I invite you to open your ears as a dramatic presentation of her voice is about to come over and uh, look at the screens as there's a few good pictures from the 40s that will come before our eyes. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Even though I was a grown woman by the time those words sunk into my heart, my mind, and my soul, they changed me. Perhaps because, at the time, not long after being lost in a poker game, after going through a humiliating divorce, and starting a new, rocky life with the man who won me, I was a spiritual and emotional child myself. So imagine how amazing it was to hear that Jesus calls the most vulnerable right to him, that he wanted to be with me, near me. This was the news I had to share, and so it began, right in our little bungalow. I invited the children from our neighborhood to come hear about Jesus, the one who called me, who calls them, who calls all of us to him. I wanted children to hear and to know what I never did as a child, that Jesus, the Son of God, loves them. Some weeks we'd have a crowd of children crammed into our house. Some doubt this could happen in such a tiny place. But all I know is that the Jesus who multiplied a few loaves and fishes and fed thousands can also make room for a whole lot of kids and then for their parents and for the neighbors, and anyone 
who heeds his call. Now, this is an awesome story. God started something in Catherine Tessman's life, and geographically, at 3510 Monroe, about seven miles east of here in Bellwood, that's the, the house that you see in the background of those pictures. Um, here's what the Tessmans did. After they became Christians, they started a Sunday morning worship service, and they started a Sunday morning Sunday school and invited all the neighborhood kids in. And they started a Thursday night youth group to invite kids along. Now, we have um, one seasoned saint, a man named Emil uh, Van Rijn, who was there as a 10-year-old boy in that very house and remembers being there with Mrs. Tessman. Um, they were so serious about this that this was a two-bedroom bungalow, and they knocked down one of the bedroom walls to uh, expand their family room and living room area so they could accommodate more people and have a larger room. I know this because in the late 40s, the family of a man here, Rich Lorup, bought that house, and he had to physically put up the bedroom wall once again so that a couple of his siblings could sleep in that bedroom. They also had to replace the roof because through the years, the steeple that the Testaments put on the roof had ruined uh, the front part of the roof and the roof joists, so he was up there as a 17-year-old replacing the roof as well. Now, in, 19, in the early 1950s, the ministry that the Testaments started became a mission church in the Christian Reformed Church of North America, our denomination. And there was a man named Renz de Groot who became a missionary pastor, and he had, uh, I think, eight children, I was told. He had so many kids, nobody had a van or a minivan back then. Somebody gave him a limousine, and he drove his eight children and lots of the kids from church around in this limousine. He even took the youth group to Starved Rock State Park in a limousine. Andy Pasek, are you here? That sounds like an awesome idea. Just everybody get in the limousine and we're going camping. In 1953, that missionary church organized as Bellwood Christian Reformed Church. And there's quite a few folks that have memories of Bellwood CRC from 53 to 63. As far as I can tell, the highlight, the best ministry that Bellwood Christian Reformed Church was known for was still the Sunday school and the youth group. Now, that church moved to Elmhurst in 1963. In 1973, something else remarkable happened. There were three women from this church who were teaching preschool through uh, the Elmhurst Park District. And uh, they got talking together because they were a little frustrated because in the Park District, you couldn't exactly share your faith or teach kids songs about Jesus. And they went to the pastor at that time and said, why can't we do something like preschool for kids but at the church and teach them about the faith? And Pastor Wayne Lies at the time said, yeah, why can't we do that? And in 1973, this little ministry called Little Lambs was born. In the first year, there were 26 kids. The second year, Coffee Break Bible Study for uh, women and parents started, and there were 55 kids, and from there it's grown and grown and grown. And uh, that second year, Aunt Jane, Jane Lorup, uh, started directing Little Lambs, and over three decades, Aunt Jane led this ministry and helped grow it, and now for the last five years, Aunt Linda Clousing. And if you go anywhere in Elmhurst uh, this week and you let them know that you are at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, probably that resident of Elmhurst will say, Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, isn't that the church where there's awesome preaching? <laughs> no, they won't say that. 
They'll say, that's the church where everybody sings like crazy. They won't say that. They will say, oh, that's the church with little lambs, right? That is the thing that other people know about us, and it's awesome because we know from Jesus, this is the heart of God. Let the babies come to me, and now for more than 80 years, this is really at the core of who we are. God forbid that this ever changes. Now, we are doing our best in Little Lambs, uh, in children's worship that's going on right now, youth groups that meet later today, to pass on the gift of faith to our children and young people. This is what we promised to do in Joshua's baptism this morning, right? Every time there's a baptism, we are saying, God loves the children. We are on board with you, God, for doing all we can to help pass on the gift of faith. We do this in explicit ways, right? Teach them songs, teach them the stories, As they get older, we talk about issues from a Christian perspective. Maybe the most important thing in all seriousness, brothers and sisters, going on this morning is not in this room, but is in the nursery hallways, in the nursery quad that's back there. Here's what we know from sociologists. 90% of our minds are wired up in terms of our assumptions and how we view life in the world by the time we are three years old. 90% of how we view the world before we're three. Now, when parents bring kids into this place, we are doing everything we can to make that nursery the kind of place that communicates to six-month-old babies, it's good here. People take care of me here. People love me here. People change me here. People will sing songs over me here. People will hold me here. And if we can give this gift to child after child after child, that the body of Christ are loving and kind and caring people, and that the church itself is a good and safe and trustworthy place, that is maybe the greatest gift we can pass on to future generations in the world. So sign up for nursery, people. No. (laughs) Well, please do. But not out of guilt, but because this is an awesome ministry. I mean, you literally are helping small children wire their minds in the best possible way. So here's the good news today. God loves the babies. God is inviting us to love the babies and the little kids. Here's the other good news. No matter how old you are, if you're in second grade, high school, college, you're 45, you're 87 or more, we are all the children of God. That is what we are. Amen, anybody? Amen. Okay, some of y'all are looking at me like, Pastor Greg, I'm old. Yes, you're old. God is older. (laughs) Okay, God is eternal. We are all the children of God That is what we are. We grown-ups need to be reminded of this because we are running through life not as open-handed professional receivers like the babies among us, but we are trying for that job or that promotion or that house or that achievement or just reaching that stage of life or just getting past this thing or our whole adult lives. And part of that's good, and it's just normal, right? That's, that's how it is. 
But Jesus says, if you are going to be in the kingdom of God, you need to not to be grabbing and striving, but for the things that matter most, you need to be open-handed like a trusting infant so that when God comes to you in the fabric of your life, you grab onto God. Because there are things, friends, there's lots of things as achieving adults we can do. Okay? The most important things we cannot do for ourselves. It's a struggle to forgive ourselves. It is a struggle to heal ourselves. It is a struggle to achieve the kind of transformation that in our heart of hearts we know we need and deep down that we desire. All of that is only God can do that for us. And the only way to receive it is to wait on the Lord, acknowledge our helplessness and spiritual infancy, and then when God comes near, to receive it. Now, if you live long enough, it is true that in the course of human life, old folks become really good receivers once again, if you live long enough. But it's pain and sickness that will teach people like us to be awesome receivers once again. So before you go longing for it, bear that in mind. Lisa and I, um, just earlier this week, were next door at Park Place. We do a little worship service there uh, regularly in their memory loss unit with folks with Alzheimer's and dementia. And folks are at different stages in that continuum. And we had a beautiful time singing together, sharing scripture, sharing the Lord's Supper together. And uh, we decided at the end that we would go around, maybe 25 people there, and that uh, we would close worship by simply giving everybody a hug on this particular day. Now, you need to know that um, quite a few folks there, you know, are sitting in a wheelchair, and maybe for the entirety of that worship service, uh, you know, kind of head down and maybe half asleep. I mean, others are very engaged. It's, It's all over the map, right? But here is what happened to a person when we passed hugs around the room. Those who were half asleep and had their shoulders down opened their eyes and sat at attention and a huge smile broke out on their face. Quite a few of them began to chuckle <laughs> like Santa Claus. I'm serious, a miracle went around the room. One older woman looked me, I mean really deeply in the eyes and said this, This is exactly what we need. Oh, we need more of this. So maybe today, you could just hug somebody or allow yourself to be hugged. That is a very babyish thing to do. You know, unless you have a really scratchy beard, a baby will not pass on your hug. You know, they will just... A miracle truly went around the room that day because... Not because Lisa and I are so spiritual, but because so many people there are professional receivers. That was the miracle of it. They were open to receiving love, attention, affection, what was being shared with them that day. So the question is, and now I'm talking to the overcheating grown-ups, are we open to receiving Are we open to receiving what only God can provide? Are we even aware enough 
of what we lack in our life so that we don't go grabbing for something that's not actually going to fill the hole, but so we're aware enough to be open and be able to name what we actually need God to provide for us. Can you put words around that, around your deep need that only God could do for you? There is a beautiful verse in the Old Testament. You know, in the New Testament, it's, it's great. I mean, Jesus touched these particular babies. He blessed these particular babies. But we are all the children of God. And in the prophet Zephaniah, there is a scene of a very beautiful Father God doing something for the children of God. And the verse goes like this. The Lord your God is with you. Please take this personally. The mighty warrior, the strong dad who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God is desiring to give his children his voice of love, his strong arm of protection, his delight, the melody of Jesus Christ hummed over your life. Will we, the adults, be childlike enough, baby-wise enough to hear it, to receive it, to pass it on? That's what we get to do as a church. It's God's heart, and as long as we stay close to that heart, it will be good here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that though in the history of human civilization, the small children and babies have not been first on our priority list, that they are indeed the poor, the powerless, the helpless, the babies in our midst are at the top of your ladder. Help our hearts stay close to your heart, God. And for each of us as your disciples, help us be like small children and wait for you with open hands. Forgive our grabbing. Forgive our instinct that we can do it on our own. And help us listen to your voice of love being sung over our life. For Jesus' sake, amen. Friends, at the close of the service, we get to respond to the God who is so kind and loving to us. Um, the band is going to sing a song that reflects this image of God singing over his children. And while that happens, I'm going to invite the deacons forward, invite you as the people of God to be generous because God is so generous with his love. And um, then when this song finishes, I'll invite you to stand up and we'll sing a closing song all together. But open your ears, open your eyes, and uh, be generous because God's so generous with us.